1: Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave Bold Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So, welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I am here today with Bernard Ward. Now, Bernard, you are the Group Managing Director of ACORN. So, you've got recruitment, you've got a whole bunch of other stuff in there. So, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on.
0: Oh, Thanks very much for having me.
1: Oh, fantastic well we were talking before we pressed record that this is a new venture for you coming on podcast so i hope it's the first of many because uh, i think you're gonna love it
0: <laughs> well we'll we'll know by the end whether it'll be the first of many or the last
1: <laughs> either way it's a unique position that i find myself in being able to have a chat with you so i'm very happy but um listen bernard i know you've got a lot going on in your world so do you want to just do a bit of an intro in terms of you know what are you all about? How you've ended up being an MD of Acorn, and then we're just gonna have a nice old chat about all things business, recruitment, highs, lows, all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, kick us off, Bernard.
0: Okay, well, I am from Ireland, obviously, um, as you can tell from my my accent, um, I, my family are were in the shoe trade, and um, so we we had um shoe shops in Ireland, and. Um, mother died when i was 18 months old so and um, my dad died when i was 21 so i had a decision to make whether to stay in the um the shoe shop world and um, or look to do something else i was in university at the time so in my third year studying business um, and i made the tough decision to um to close the shoe business and finish my degree and um and seek out um, other opportunities that didn't involve feet. Um, so from there, I, I started out with um, Adeco, which is one of the largest um, recruitment groups in the world. Um, I met my now wife um, um, years and years um, ago, and back in Ireland, she was on a, a Hendo, um, and kept in touch. So that once I finished my degree, that led me to, um, to travel over to the UK. And um, started with a decal in Gloucester as a branch manager, um, worked my way up to an area manager, and then went back to Ireland as country sales manager. I uh, got to a stage where I wanted to study an MBA, um, and unfortunately, uh, the firm that I was with weren't willing to, to sponsor it, so I returned to the UK. I joined Reed, which is the largest family run recruitment company in the world. And again, started as branch manager in Cheltenham, worked my way, way up to area manager and um, got my MBA. Um, I was the first person in the company to, to do it and to be sponsored and to, to do it. Then I was then approached by um, somebody to look at an opportunity in the Middle East. Um, and we all know that the World Cup has just finished in Qatar. So I wasn't quite sure where, so at this point, Nobody knew where Qatar was. But if you look on the map, you've got Afghanistan and Iraq. So I wasn't quite sure whether my wife would be willing to relocate to (laughs) the Middle East. Um, But we did. We flew out. Um, We spent nearly seven years um, there. Um, I was running the um, Qatar operation, which became one of the largest um, in the Reed uh, world. Um, I was then asked to take on the rest of the Middle East, um, which was... And Dubai and um, Oman, Abu Dhabi, um, and Libya, um, and then after that, I took on all of the European operations. So I have offices throughout Europe, so a lot of traveling. Two weeks of every month, I was away somewhere, either in the Middle East or um, across Europe. Then I got to a stage where I couldn't really go any further within the Reed Group. I'm um, still quite ambitious, um, so returned to the UK with an aim of selling a business. And um, So I joined a, a company called CBS Butler with the aim to sell, and um, the business was sold um, in about 15 months or so, and um, went on to join another business called Danielone, um, which is a, a construction recruiter, and um, was the MD there, um, and was there for just over two years. Decided I was in London an awful lot, so not not really spending much time with my family. So I wanted to take some time out, so renovated the property that we're in um, and joined Impellent, which is now, I believe, the largest uh, recruitment group in the UK. Um, was a director there. Loving life. Um, had um, some travel, but was at home most evenings, which was great. And then um, I was approached by a headhunter to look at Acorn. Um, I had done my research on the business uh, and I saw it really as a sleeping giant in the recruitment world. Um, so I took it on. Uh, I'm here, this is my second year uh, with the business. We've, you know, we've, we delivered over a hundred million pounds uh, last year uh, and we're on target again to, to beat that this year. And um, we've got a very aggressive budget um, married, uh, one child, Grace, who's sixteen, and um, two cockaboos, uh, brother and sister, uh, Benji and Willow. And um, my sister is actually has lived in Wales for twenty five years. She's a, a cancer expert um, in Welsh government. Um, my brother is worked for Land O'Rourke and I still have obviously lots of family back in Ireland. So, in a nutshell, that's me. Massive rugby fan as well. <laughs>
1: Wow! What a story, founded. Wow, you know I love these conversations because you never quite know where it's going to lead and what's going to come out. But God, there's so much here for us to uh, to dig into. So. Thank you for that. That's brilliant. I love it. So as you were talking, it was a lot that was kind of, you know, flashing through my mind. Um, as, as you can imagine, I'm trying to absorb a lot. And it's quite a shift, isn't it, from that shoe business that you say, the family business, to, to kind of the career that you've had and what a successful career you have had. So it must have been really difficult. I'm just going to kind of go, go back a little bit and then we'll we'll kind of bring it to, to present day. So So at the age of 21, that's a hell of a decision to have to make. Um, you know, do you go to university? Do you close a family business? How did you go about even making that decision, Bernard? I mean, at that age, it's quite a lot to have on your shoulders at a young age, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, you, you know, I think everybody knows what they what their heart tells them to do and what their head tied tells them to do. Mm-hmm. My heart was telling me to stick with the, the business and the people in the business. My head was... Pointing me in a different direction, which was I want to go out to the world and um, achieve something um, under my own steam rather than um, rely on, on something that was was brought up by my my father and grandfather, etc. Mm. And so I made the decision to go out by myself.
1: Yeah, it made it must have been it must have been a hell of a decision. But um, like you say, look where the road has led. Um, you know, so interesting. I'm still in,
0: still in touch with. Some of the employees, you know, there was a guy, Paul Curley, who um, worked in the shop for 30 years. Um, And I'm still in touch with him now. So, you know, I think whilst it was a a terribly tough decision, I think it was the right decision.
1: Mm, Yeah, you make a really good point, actually, because, you know, when you close when you close something or exit something or move from one role to another role or change organisations, you know, I think. It's as important how you leave as it is how you arrive. Um, and to leave that door open and those relationships, you know, I mean that's a fantastic you know, story there that you're still in touch with um, you know, with people from from even back then. And so you obviously did it in the way in the in the best way you could given the difficult circumstances, you know, at the time.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I think that um you're right, how you leave something. Your your legacy is what people judge you on, really. And um I think if you're genuine and um, you know you're considered about whatever decision you're making, people can't um, put that down.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and the world of recruitment, Bernard. So I mean, you've been in it for what? How many years now? Twenty years?
0: Twenty six years.
1: Wow, long time! All oh, about the same time as I've been in the travel industry. So I was twenty-seven years in the travel industry. So you know, it's sometimes like that, isn't it? There are certain industries or certain sectors that just kind of get you you know and and you just you just build this passion and this love for for the industry uh, and you you clearly have done that otherwise you wouldn't have stayed in it for so long but what what are the big changes then bernard that you've seen over the years from when you, i mean obviously you've changed organizations i appreciate that but just sort of more in general in terms of the world of recruitment um what are the big shifts that you've seen in in terms of the, the, the industry
0: well i can remember when i first started the um the business development was literally a phone book. So you're <laughs> given a phone book and you get the numbers out and you push the, uh, the dials in on the telephone or your, the old the old um, style telephones and you speak to people. Whereas now it's, you know, you're talking about artificial intelligence, smart bots, and, um, you know, all of the social media platforms that you can utilize to engage with, with candidates. So, I think it's 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 come along um, a hell of a, a road over the last 25, 26 years.
1: Mm, yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned the uh, that hundred million that you did last year. I mean, that's a big number. This is a large organisation. That's that's turnover, is it, Bernard? Yeah, It'd be nice if it was EBITDA, wouldn't it?
0: Our EBIT was still <laughs> over three three and a half million. So um,
1: fantastic, yeah.
0: It's yeah. you know, it's, it's quite healthy in, t- in terms of our industry.
1: Yeah, no, I, and and I think that that's fantastic. But you know, all credit to you, hundred million. What what sort of, how roughly, how many candidates would you place in a typical year? Then, if you took sort of last year, roughly out, out of that hundred million, how many candidates?
0: Oh, God. You uh, Jesus, you're, you're over two thousand um, temporary candidates, and maybe a thousand, um, if not more, permanent candidates. So
1: that's we've,
0: amazing. We we secured some really large national contracts that, I suppose on by right, we shouldn't have won them um, because they're so big. Um, But we did um, based on the solutions that we offered. And so, you know, some of the bigger players like Randstad, Manpower, Deco would work with this one massive client globally. Um, But because of what we've done, we've now secured them as a global client.
1: Mm, yeah, no, that's fast that's fantastic. And the type of roles what's the sweet spot for you in terms of the the candidates at your place and is it sort of you know more junior roles is it is it mid management senior management where where do you where do you kind of sit in terms of that Well uh, we're,
0: we're we've just launched a rebrand um so we've got two uni- unique businesses and um, the first one is Acorn by Synergy so we're part of the Synergy Group Synergy turnover 2.5 billion euros and per annum that's the fourth largest recruitment group in europe and we've got snu specialists so that's the white collar technology and it um, platforms finance human resources procurement so you've got two unique businesses one which is that generalist manufacturing industrial etc driving um, recruitment arm and then you've got the specialist recruitment arm which is snu
1: Okay, and do you do C-suite stuff as well, Bernard. So, so we do, yes. Yeah, so level. we've
0: been we've been retained by a number of football association of Wales, as an example. We're we're doing a number of retained roles um, with them.
1: Fantastic, and you know, listen, I mean, it's it's good because you know, for anyone that's listening, and um, you know, if you're if you're needing to get talent into your business. A great way to do that is to work with a professional, an expert that lives and breathes this stuff every day, like you and your team do. Um, so it's great to for people to be aware of you know the kind of what you can offer in in, in that context. Um, because there are a lot of recruitment companies out there, as as, as you know, you, as you you and I know well know, but to actually have the credentials, the client book that you have, the volume and the scale that you've got, you know, that that really does you know just showcase your credentials really and, and just how 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 important you are in the market and and on those at those angles um, well, and as a,
0: as a business we've been we've been going 30 years so um, you get to trust something where there's longevity and continuity Um, so i, I think we've built that trust up over the 30 years
1: yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And so you know when you um when you you got approached by a headhunter, a headhunter being headhunted is quite an in- interesting concept. <laughs> You're kind of mar- uh, marking the headhunter on their approach to headhunting a headhunter. Um, <laughs> but when when the acorn opportunity came up, then was that it, obviously that was an opportunity? You thought, wow, you know, I think you said it was a bit of a sleeping giant, or however you 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 described it, an untapped an untapped gem. Um, so. What was it about you, the role, that you really thought, yes, actually, this could be for me? Because you obviously had an amazing career before that. Um,
0: so yeah, what well, the, was this role. The being? the geographies that we, we exist in um, are are fantastic. And um, so, the Southwest for me is, is on my doorstep. We've got a number of operations in the north. Um, and um, obviously Wales is where we've we've originated from so that leaves catchment areas that I'm very familiar with southeast London midlands west midlands and um, to to um, attack really to, to yeah. develop and um, so there I, I feel there, there's a lot of unfinished business for acorn um and we're now on a journey to to try and to, to try and Maybe not finish the job, but get close to it anyway. Um, so we're also looking at acquiring um, other recruitment businesses. And um, so organically, we've you know we've opened offices in the West Midlands, in Worcester, and um, we've opened an office in Gloucester, and that's all in the last seven months or so. Nice. So we're we're organically trying to grow, uh, or organically we are growing. Um, but we are also looking at a number of acquisition opportunities that can open up um different geographies and potentially different verticals. So life scientists as an example is a is a huge market that we presently don't do enough in.
1: Mm, okay, interesting. So gosh, you've got ambitious plans for to 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 take you forward then. Um, Absolutely. And you know on the, the the MA, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think for any business when you're looking to grow, you you have those those two choices, organic or inorganic M and A based growth. Um, And there's pros and cons (laughs) of both, isn't there? I know I've got the I've got the gray hairs from all the M&A work that I've done over the years, Bernard, that's for sure. Um, But uh, in terms of the the M&A strategy, when you buy businesses, um, either in your current kind of role you're in now or, or in the past, would you typically in the world of recruitment keep those as discrete businesses and would you you know bring them into the overall organization and kind of optimize the back office do you keep separate brands how 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 does that play out in terms of sort of the brand uh play if you like and and how you you view an acquisition if you bring it in
0: well i think you need to with any acquisition so the the recruitment market is small and whilst you know financially it's it's huge there's Thousands of recruitment companies out there, but if you've been in the industry long enough, you get to know enough people. So if an opportunity comes up, it's maybe two telephone calls, and you understand um, what the challenges are and when you're going through due diligence, what you need to look for. And mm-hmm. um, I suppose when you're when you're looking at a, an established brand, you need to be very careful with that, and um, you need to to treat it quite gently and and not try and make immediate changes, test the water um, and if you're going going to integrate it to your own brand then be careful on, on, on how you do it. And also from an, an individual point of view you know there's always economies of scale, right and um, when you're when you're buying another business you know they'll have a finance team, you've got a finance team, you need to again it's a for me it's a people-centric business so you have to treat the people with respect and you have to respect loyalty also. So any decisions that I would ever make will always be be based on the people because if you do that, they'll look after you and that looks after the business.
1: Yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's often an interesting dilemma. I think for for businesses that are looking to to grow through acquisition, you know, because what you do post acquisition, it can look, it, you know, it can have loads of different, um, you know, options available to you around full integration or partial integration. Keep them as a standalone business to protect the integrity of the P and L and the accountability, etc. So, yeah, I've um, I've been through lots of those those scenarios myself, Bernard. But you're absolutely spot on. Often the piece that I think is, is neglected in any MA, not talking about MA and recruitment space specifically, is the people, it's the HRDD, it's the succession planning, it's all of that because normally a lot of people when you're doing a you're doing a deal you're so focused on the financials the commercial the tax the legal the structuring the excitement of getting the deal <clears throat> that you pay l- and not as much attention as you should do to the people side and very often that's the bit that will trip you up <laughs> when you've actually acquired the business isn't it you know i've i've seen it happen <laughs> so many
0: times where like you said you focus on on those technical aspects and forget about the people and then when the when the deal is done after people are gone and the business is not where it needs to be,
1: absolutely, you kind of go, "Well, what have a ball?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah what have a ball? Well, it sounds like there's a huge amount of um exciting options coming your way for, for 2023, then, Bernard. And and you know, from from your own <clears throat> kind of perspective, and if you were sort of giving some advice to other people, you know, I I personally believe there's a bit of a war on talent right now, um, and 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 there are pockets, there are certain industries, certain sectors that maybe have had a harder time recently. I mean, from a selfish point of view, you know, travel, leisure, hospitality has had an absolute kick in, you know, during the uh, global pandemic and has lost a lot of talent, you know, because a lot of people have, have left the industries or have had to leave because, you know, businesses have had to kind of, you know, deal with their overhead accordingly. And then they've gone on and, and thought, oh, actually, this isn't such a well-paid industry. It's a great industry, but I could, pro- maybe I can earn more as an Amazon driver. And they've left the sector and they've not necessarily come back um, and may never come back. So I, I think in certain pockets, there really is a, a bit of a war on talent and getting talent into um, the businesses that you need in order to, to kind of grow. But what's your perspective on, on kind of attracting talent and, and the world out there in terms of candidates versus, you know, demand, if you like, versus supply? There's
0: there's always been a, a war on talent, um, irrespective of um, what's happening um, in the economy. And you're right, there's um there was a situation where uh, I, I made a quote um, on... Facebook, and um, that I had a, a, a HGV driver that was earning more money than a barrister. Um, so this went on to Facebook, and there was thousands of responses from <laughs> um, wives saying, "Well, I haven't seen any of that from my husband, and he's a, a HGV driver." So I got straight. <laughs> but there, yeah, there, listen, there's there's always a demand, and there's certain areas like life sciences, tech, driving, where that demand is. Has, has always existed. I think the unique thing now is that with cost of living going through the roof, um, the number of people that are looking for more money mm-hmm. and irrespective of whether um, they're happy in their job and they're happy with the culture, they need more money because they have to pay their bills. So that's what I'm seeing right now. And um, People right. are leaving companies that they probably wouldn't have left previously because they need to, to pay the bills. And I think we can all empathise um, with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so just in terms of, you know, if you're um, from a client point of view, um, you know, you're whichever organisation you're heading or whichever department and you've got a recruitment need and the role is defined, etc., what, what what are some of the, the pieces of advice you would give to a client, to a company that's trying to, you know, get the right talent in the organization and attract those people into them? What are the things that they should consider to make sure that they're in the best place possible to actually, you know, because it is a one-way street, you know, it's not it's not just you recruiting and you doing all the choosing, it's it's very much the candidate choosing as well. Um so what what can they do to to attract talent, do you think, Bernard? I
0: think beyond the the financial um, benefits. There are a number of other benefits that, that firms need to be looking at and I would say the most prevalent that has come out over the last 18 months is hybrid working um, as a business. I could never have imagined that I would have three days in the office and two days working from home but that's what we've done. Um, our profits have soared and um, whilst that has happened. So that's that's a key. I think um, diversity and inclusion is is something that every firm should really take seriously we've got a um, diversity and inclusion um, team that meet on a monthly basis to to discuss and um, different challenges and issues and um, i think being having a much greener environment is is also very important especially for those younger people coming into um, the business flexibility and um, opportunity to, to 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 move into to different roles as well so there's there's so many different things we've introduced as an example, uh, something that I call a U day. So if somebody's having a, a bad day for whatever reason, they um, can call into their manager and just say this, and I'm having a, a mental health day. Is that alright? And say yes. So yeah, lots and lots of things.
1: Yeah, I mean you're right, aren't you? That there, it's not. I mean the money, that the package, the core package clearly needs to. Uh, be compelling enough to to actually be able to reward people according accordingly yeah that's a given but there is more isn't there there's a lot more that organizations can do and and sometimes it's not to say that those things will allow you to pay less but I think it 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 can often be the the decision that that tips tips that you know a candidate over the over the edge of saying yeah actually this is this is a culture I want to be part of this is a business that that you know aligns with with what is important to me. Um,
0: like, I, I think being authentic as well as a so mm. as, you know a business can badge whatever they want to badge, but unless they live those values and live that culture from the top down, people will see through it immediately. Um, and I think yeah. that's something I'm really proud of here. That you know we are authentic. We do genuinely care about the the people that work in the business, and we look after them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting you were speaking, actually, because I interviewed um, a gentleman called Stephen Dames, <clears throat> who is the, the group chief talent and culture officer for Accor Hotels. So Accor are massive. I mean, they're, they're, they're the largest um, hospitality company in Europe. They're the sixth largest in the world. You know, they've got something like 900,000 rooms. You know, they're just massive, huge organisations. Um, but he he's obviously you know heading all of the people. It's, it, I had a laugh with him about his title. I said, "So, chief talent and culture officer, then Stephen? Does that mean that you're HR, director? <laughs>
0: <HR, laughs>
1: chief HR?" And he went, "Yeah, it is really, but you know, we just we got these fancy titles now." But what he was talking about interesting with the core was that, of course, you want to attract talent into your organisation. And ideally, you want people that are going to have a long career with you, a long and lasting career with you, of course, you know, that that that's uh, that's important. But they're taking a bit more of a flexible approach to say, you know what, actually, given the nature of their business, which is quite seasonal, you know, you've got you've got a lot of F and B, you've got the restaurants, the bars, you know, you've got different sort of dynamics going on. He was saying they're being much more flexible around saying, you know what, if you only want to work with us for six months before you go traveling before you finish university that's okay have a great experience with us for six months you know sort of sort of i suppose taking a more a more flexible approach to try and open themselves up to a broader talent pool and i think you know a big large corp like that is quite refreshing to hear as he was talking and i think mcdonald's do this very well as well you know you you're probably not going to have a full career of 20 years at mcdonald's you may do if you go into management but if you're on the chip fryer you know you just want to have a great experience for the time that you're there that fulfills what your requirements are and so i don't know if you've got a perspective around around that approach to hiring it's not always about a permanent role that someone's going to be there for a lifetime with you you know
0: yeah i i I think that you know we we know that we're you know sometimes we can be used as a stepping stone to get into hr or Training yeah. and development but I think the, the experience it's interesting we you said about McDonald's when they started out they um, the, the the model that they they have is something I firmly believe in so your onboarding is absolutely key so um, whatever you've told people previously they know exactly what's going to happen um, and your training and development from the moment they start you need to ensure that you give them the tools uh, and the know-how to actually get on and do the job. And number three, um, a mentor. So once you've done your training and development, ensure that they have somebody that they can call, tap on the shoulder and and request help if, if needs be.
1: Mm, yeah that, and that consistent approach I guess as well you know that you know there's, there's that sense that everyone is invested in you're, you're you're as important if you're if you're the cleaner as you are if you're the CEO you know um, well you know that
0: you know the old adage when um, JFK um, went to NASA and he saw this fella sweeping the ground and uh, he goes up to him and says so what do you do here and he says I send men to the moon um, yeah it's, it's true
1: I love that. I love that. I think that absolutely encapsulates it. And, and I think also, you know, if you're in a senior leadership position and anyone that's listening, there is never forget. Never forget that every single person, you know, it doesn't matter what role they're doing in your organisation. They're as important as you are um, in their own specific way, aren't they? And I think if you can keep yourself grounded with that and make sure that you don't lose touch with uh, with the frontline people and and the people that are actually serving your clients and your customers, that will serve you well as a leader. I think if you're sitting in your ivory tower in the penthouse, that's a dangerous place to be in as a as a as an exec.
0: Um, well, we we've just we've just had our Christmas party, and everybody who has any link to the company, from our taxi drivers to the the cleaners um, who look after the, the building, were there, um, and that's that's how it should be. And um, everybody plays a part. And if you look mm-hmm. after, and again, it comes back to. Being authentic, isn't it? If you look after people, they look after you.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I I love what you were saying about having a you day as well. I think that's that's really empowering for people to say, "Listen, I'm just, I'm just having, I've got some stuff going on here. You know, I'm not feeling great today, and it's not all about." I've got a cold. Um, it's just I need some time, um, and I think that's refreshing. It's progressive, and obviously, it's it's impacting your fa- your results in a positive way um, as well. So yeah, well, it's a,
0: it's a, it's helped with our our um, attrition. It's helped with our sickness days. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's it's just looking after people, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, and Bernard, on the other side of the table, obviously you've got the cl- you've got the candidate, right? You've got the you know the person that's looking to secure a role or maybe move move roles from where they are now. Um, what what advice do you do you give to to candidates that are you know sort of applying for roles, being interviewed, etc. Um, in today's world of recruitment?
0: Um, I, I think the the key from a, a candidate to a recruiter is to build a relationship and um, to remove the the um transactional element. Um if you if you just have a transaction, once it's done, it's done. Um yeah. and you're forgotten you're nearly forgotten about which is which is wrong. So build a relationship and then you know you can have a relationship with that recruiter for as long as you need. So if if for whatever reason one job doesn't work out, you go back to that recruiter and they'll remember you and they'll look after you and source something else.
1: Mm, yeah, and that is really good advice. I mean, I know from my from my own perspective, even where where I've been approached for roles in the past, you know, maybe it's from the you know, like Spencer Stewart, Egon Zend, you know, Shrek Shrek companies. Typically, the the, the those are uh, those sort of sweet C suite kind of roles, but. You know, people do move around as well in the, in the industry, don't they? And um, you know, you never know where that person's going to land. So, I think networking and your you know creating those those meaningful relationships is really really smart advice from you, Bernard, because it's often something that I think people neglect. And and it drives me crazy. You know, how often do you you know I have there heard from someone for bloody years? And as soon as they want something, they pick up the phone or they go, Oh, hi, I'm like your new best friend. No, actually, you should nurture relationships on an ongoing basis, shouldn't you? Even if it's just a quick check-in every few months or every year or whatever it might be, and that is is yeah. meaningful. It's not just when you need something, I've got my handout coming, please give me it. <laughs> it's-, it's
0: like I think you know, plus technology has has Brought the recruitment industry forward in in you know so many different ways. It's mm-hmm. actually also taken it back because you're it's just click apply apply apply. You can make yeah. multiple applications for jobs and whilst you're sat in the bus or um, wherever you are. So I think that does break the relationship. But I even now we have candidates who come into the office around Christmas time with gifts for the recruiters. And um, sometimes we'll have hot meals brought in from. From chefs, say for for example, so yeah. it's and it's wonderful to see. Um, but that re- that relationship would never be broken.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, I, I really like that. So, what are the big opportunities that you see coming down the track for you? Obviously, you talked about potential acquisitions, etc. But are, are there other other things that you're excited about for this year, Bernard?
0: Massively, we've um we've got a huge um. Focus on the public sector, and um, so we've you know twelve months ago we we didn't have a public sector team. Now we've got a team of ten, Um wow. so it's it's and that's all based in in Newport. So we've forged some really good um, relationships within that public sector. We've just secured a a hundred and eight million pounds um, account, and um, just before Christmas, so we're at implementation stage with that now. Uh, we secured another account which is worth thirty million pounds. So We've um we're we're doing really well. We're also focused on developing our, our existing brilliant relationships um by looking to offer additional and um, support. So historically as a business we've um supplied maybe industrial or manufacturing staff, but now we're we're we've got the tools and the people to supply professional services as well, um both contract and perm. So there's you know with the rebrand which was launched yesterday and all of that other uh, stuff that's going on there's there's loads to keep us busy
1: yeah fantastic and listen let me just take you back a little bit so i'm really delighted for you and it's fantastic to hear that the business is doing so well you know in particular even despite the economic headwinds are you worried about actually you know some of the more the broader macroeconomic indicators or, or do you not think it's going to affect recruitment this year
0: you know what i i i don't get worried about things like that. I worry about stuff that I can control. We yeah. we don't have a monopoly in, in our marketplace. We've got less than one percent um, share in, in many of the areas that we operate in. So there's it's going to get tighter, but you know, there's no reason why we can't grow. And I fully expect us to aggressively grow this year
1: yeah yeah i know that's brilliant that's fantastic to hear so um yeah it's encouraging encouraging to hear because i think sometimes you you read the news or pick up the bloody paper and it's so doom doom and gloom i mean you want (laughs) to split your bloody wrist
0: yeah i don't don't bother um reading those negative you know what they say um, remove yourself from negative people and surround yourself with positive people so that's what i tend to try and do
1: you know what you're spot on Bernard and actually that reminds me an old boss of mine um, a chap called Richard Prosser when I was the MD at, the, uh, at TUI at the Emerging Markets he was my boss and he used to say to me listen Jeanette there are two types of people there are radiators that exude warmth and make you feel good in their company and there are drains that just sort of suck the oxygen out of the room <laughs> make sure you surround yourself with the former as much as you can and yeah learn how to deal with the drains <laughs> because you will get them but you know and i thought that was that was a really good uh, a really good analogy it's saving me for probably about 15 years <laughs> so, no. well, they,
0: they say that you should around a, a board table you should always have that one person do questions and not you know not not to shut them yeah. up to listen because i i do think it's important but um generally speaking surround yourself with positive people
1: yeah yeah. Well very often that'll be the finance person. You typically have your MD or your or your uh, you know your CEO that's kind of go 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 come on everyone and then it'll be your FD that's kind of going hang on a minute we need to see how much that's going to cost what's the return on investment. Like well, my
0: my, my CEO was the one who's saying no no that's too expensive you can't do that Bernard. and he's been here Jesus 20 years 25 years.
1: Amazing, amazing. Well, that's great. I mean, it shows, doesn't it? You know, for you yourself, you're, you know, let's talk about building high performing teams. Actually, because of course, you've got your own team, and you're, you're the partner to lots of organisations. You're an extension of their own, their own teams, aren't you? Often, often. So, what, what for you? What's important when you're looking at high performance? What, what are the characteristics and things you want to pay attention to? Do you think?
0: Well, something that we've, we've. We are in a high performing industry. You have to hit the ground running, you know, it's a sales role yeah. in, in effect. So what I've, I've noticed over the last 18 months or so is that there, there hadn't been any signs to our, our hiring. And um, so we've introduced psychometric testing. Uh, so what we've actually done, and um, we've picked our, a number of high performers in each individual department. We've had them do the test. Um, so now anytime anybody applies for a role in whatever department it might be, they complete the psychometric test and we benchmark. Um, and okay. so those who are less than 75%, we make a real conscious decision as to whether or not um, they're right for us. Um, and there'll be a discussion where previously there would never have been a discussion if the CV looked good and they interviewed well, you hired them. Whereas now we're we're trying to bring a little bit more science um to to the role, and once they're once once they're started, like I said about the onboarding, the training and development, the buddy system, and um, all of those things need to be in place. And there needs to be a very strict. We have like a thirteen week um, induction period where people go through a number of different factors and that assist them with achieving high performance. Um, mm.
1: Yeah, no, brilliant. I mean, and again, for anyone listening or watching this, you know, watching this on YouTube or wherever you're, you're, you're kind of listening there's some great advice there um, around measurements and what does good look like? What does high performance look like? How do the team dynamics work together? Because at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you, you hear about people talking about team and actually it's a collection of individuals. You're not winning together. Um, and, and it is different, isn't it, when you put that lens across a high performance. And, you know, I think we can learn a huge amount from sport, actually. You know, high performance in sport applied to high performance in business. Um, and I know you're a big rugby man, as we were talking about earlier. And you've got you are actually working with the Ospreys, aren't you? And we've got a common friend, Mike Ruddock, um, yeah, as well. So, so talk, do you want to talk a bit a little about, about that particular assignment that you've got there, but also your yeah. thoughts? around high performance in sport and high performance in business? Because um, I think it's an interesting topic.
0: So the the relationship that we forged with the Ospreys is obviously through uh, Mr Ruddock, whose um, son Reese plays for Leinster, my, my side. Uh, so we um, have entered into the relationship on the basis that we wanted to support um, those players who, for whatever reason, if they get injured or if... Um, it's they decide it's not for them we want to support them help them develop their cvs help them with interviewing techniques and help them ultimately find a career outside of um, the recruitment industry and i think from a a high performance point of view when you look at sports people it's all about mindset and and it's that resilience you get hit you get back up again get hit you get back up again and you keep trying and i think in in business world and in particular in the recruitment world you're going to get knocked over more often than not but you have to step back up again and keep moving forward so that's i think that's probably the most important characteristic from a sports person to somebody in the recruitment sector
1: Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I love that. And I mean, the other one that always stands out for me, Bernard, as well, is around incremental gains. You know, often, you know, that gold medal is like the minutest of a split second that you get the difference between gold and silver. And and I think sometimes in in business, we forget that actually sometimes 1% better, 1% better, 1% better, whatever that might be, it all accumulates and can really make a massive difference and sometimes we can forget that can't we around marginal gains and and the impact of that Uh,
0: absolutely
1: yeah fantastic well I'm really delighted that you've got that you know you've got that that kind of uh, partnership with the Ospreys and I know that's going to really help a lot of people Um, and also it's a great and well you're interested in rugby as well so that's a nice one to have personally isn't it We'll have to go to an Ospreys game together, Bernard. That's what we need.
0: Absolutely,
1: absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. So, listen, I could talk to you all day, but I just got a couple of other areas before I ask you um, a few closing questions, if I may. You, you obviously spent a lot of time in the Middle East um, when you were at Reed, and and you know you had a, a big regional role there. Um, and you've talked a little bit around, you know, the different cultures, cultural diversity that you've personally been re- been responsible for. But I think there's some really big lessons around, you know, how you apply. that even within a, a UK centric um, business, actually, there are different cultures between the North, the South, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, you know. So, I, you know, that experience that you had in the Middle East in terms of cultures and dealing with different cultures. What were the big lessons for you personally, do you think, that has helped you in your career? I think
0: that you know when when prior to the World Cup there was a lot of and even during the World Cup there was a lot of negative um, news stories about about Qatar and and um, the rules and regulations etc. But for me the the, the learn that I've I've had whilst whilst I was there is to just respect their culture. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like um, they're coming to the UK and or Ireland or wherever and telling us how to. To live, we're going to their country, so respect and um, their culture um, is is the most important. It goes wherever you are in the world. You should always just respect whatever culture that you're you're coexisting in.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And actually, paying attention to those things, you know, having I mean, sometimes I I mean, I used to do uh, you know cultural training with my when my teams. If I had anyone coming from my you know UK business and was going to be working in China or in Russia or in India everyone had cultural training because you need to understand um, in particular in Asia, you know, loss of face and, you know, the sort of the more hierarchical approach, et cetera. And and I think uh, you need to support your teams to understand that as well, don't you? And and that respect piece is, is, you're right. Absolutely spot on. But I think it helps you with your emotional intelligence when you've worked in different cultures and with different sort of environments like that. I think your, your radar is, is, is much stronger in terms of emotional IQ um, so yeah, I don't know. did you find that yourself as well when you came back? Yeah, well
0: I, I had so we were partnered with a, a royal family member in in Qatar um so I very quickly learned um, the the culture and how to respect it um and yeah it was it was it was it was brilliant but it like it broadens your horizons, doesn't it when you when you put yourselves and that, that comes back to why did I decide not to pursue the um the shoe business it's i wanted to try different things i wanted to to broaden my horizons i wanted to travel and i've done all of that now um and you know there's a, a big tick beside it
1: yeah definitely definitely brilliant stuff and before I, I ask you what the last few questions you talked about diversity and inclusion you mentioned how important that was um you know, and listen, at various times in my career, I've really always been the only bloody woman in the boardroom, you know, in terms of full, full P&L and all the rest of it. Thankfully, things are changing. But nonetheless, we've still got a long way to go in terms of gender diversity, but even further to go when we talk about disability diversity or, you know, kind of lgbtq etc so you know it's a very complex area isn't it we've made most progress i think with gender diversity but still we're not there but there's there's a lot more to, to do so so what how do you tend to approach that if you have a client and they want to really you know help make sure that they're building diverse teams what are the things that you support them with to help them kind of bring that into their business when they're recruiting
0: but we've, we've brought external. So obviously we have our, our diversity and inclusion uh, group that meets on a monthly basis and uh, to discuss different um, different issues, different challenges. And that's filtered down throughout the business from, from me all the way down. Um, <clears throat> I bring external experts. You know, I, I'm not an expert in, in this area and I would never profess to be, but I will always invest in bringing experts in to give talks and um, to have teams calls and um, thankfully we can have people come into the, the office now and invite everybody within the business to, to listen and to learn and I think that's it isn't it it's listen learn and care about yeah. um, about the issues.
1: Yeah, I, think I love that listen learn and care. And I think I think also don't be afraid to try, you know, because I think sometimes organisations are almost scared of getting it wrong or saying the wrong thing or using the wrong terminology. And, I, you know, and of course you want to be respectful and, and try and not make those, those errors. But I think sometimes that can stop organisations moving forward with the overall agenda because they're worried of, of kind of being in the spotlight and, and almost being criticised for, for doing the wrong thing, even though the intention was probably right. Um, yeah. I think the communication is absolutely critical, isn't it? to To try and support organisations, say, listen, be honest about where you are today and be clear around where you want to get to and then have a you know have a plan have a plan that's going to help get you there because actually it's it's proven that diverse organizations diverse boards one you represent your customers um two you offer a better service and three the financial results are proven to be better so why wouldn't it
0: we we we've just gone through our um so I, I, i've been with the business nearly 2 years now so year 1 was kind of looking at where we are and trying to fix different elements. Year two is implementing strategic objectives. But the end of that was, or the culmination of that was to um, look at our investors and people. So we we achieved the, believe it or not, um, 175 employees and above. We were the fourth best company in the world um, in terms of our results from our staff.
1: Oh, amazing! Congratulations. So that, that
0: was a, that was a great achievement um, for 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 me and for the team and for Acorn as a as a whole. So it tells us that what we're doing across each facet of the the business, whether it's um, um inclusion, diversity, whether it's uh, how we look after our staff, and um, we're we're doing it right.
1: Brilliant! Yeah, that's right. And what gets measured gets done, right? Exactly. <laughs> So, Bernard, listen, I could chat to you for hours. Might have to have you back on for a follow-up, a follow-up interview. Um, but listen, before we close, can I ask you a few closing questions, Bernard, which I'm really yeah. get your perspective on. So, um, well, before I do that, actually, where can people find you, Bernard? Because obviously, they might have people listening that actually have recruitment needs and want to connect with you. You might have people that go, oh, I fancy working with Bernard. He sounds like a cool guy. Where can they find you? At
0: www.acornpeople.com.
1: Brilliant, okay, and you're on LinkedIn and all the rest of I'm it? I'm on
0: LinkedIn, yeah.
1: Yeah, lovely, fantastic, that's great, appreciate that. So listen, over your illustrious career and your personal life and all the journey you've been on, can you think of the best piece of advice that you've been given over the years?
0: The best piece of advice I've been given is be yourself.
1: Yes, love it, love it. I agree with you. Be yourself, everyone else is taken, right? Exactly. Exactly. I love it I love it yeah authenticity as you were talking about earlier so important and when you look back have you ever had any bad advice Bernard advice that didn't go so quite so well or maybe you ignored and you were glad you did in the end
0: don't be yourself (laughs) try and be somebody else Uh, that's happened to me loads of times where people have said oh you're too enthusiastic or you know you need to show more of a killer instinct or whatever it might be so don't be yourself is the worst piece of advice I've ever been given
1: yeah, no, and, and that's it, isn't it? And also, people, people, they're not idiots. They, they sense this, and it's exhausting. If you're trying to keep up a front, over time, you're like,
0: yeah.
1: really? <laughs> Come on. Oh, no, I love that one. That's fantastic. And, you know, the podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Um, So when you hear that, ben, what does that mean to you?
0: Brave, bold, and brilliant. Brave, bold, and a bit brilliant. And I, I suppose it comes back to the word that I've probably used several times and whilst we've been chatting and that's be authentic be yourself because it's it can be difficult sometimes to be yourself flaws and all and um, to show yourself to the world for, for what you are warts and all and um, so that's that's what that would mean to me
1: oh fantastic well listen Bernard it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you it really has and um, yeah I hope that we'll be able to share a beer at the rugby together one day absolutely <laughs> fantastic thanks Bernard